Yes, sir. Did you see anything? No, sir. I didn't see you playing with your dolls again. Good! Toyland, Toyland, little girl and boyland, while you dwell within. away, little man. I can't. You see, I need the money to buy more toys. I love toys. They can play songs. They can dance. They can even eat money. Oh, boy, can they eat money. All my money. Childhood's joy. Welcome to Fire and Water Presents and the second installment of Where Does He Get Those Wonderful Toys, or Those Wonderful Toys for short. I'm your host, Chris Franklin. In case you missed the first episode, in this series I will spotlight a toy in my collection, discussing the ins and outs of the toy itself and the comic and media related background of the character slash item. And I want to thank everyone for their great response to the first episode. I was honestly kind of surprised that the show got as much traction as it did. It was very encouraging, and it honestly filled my head with tons of ideas for the show. Unfortunately, I have lots of other irons in the fire, so this will continue to be a side project that I get to as time allows. In fact, I had so many ideas for this episode, I decided to combine them, so I'm already screwing with the formula in my second episode. But hey, it's my show, and I can do what I want, right? So, First up is a figure of Superman's archenemy. There's no doubt he's one of the most famous comic book villains of all time. Most folks on the street know him by name. Lex Luthor, the greatest criminal mind of our time. Of our time? I hereby serve notice. He's serving notice to you. That these walls, that these walls here. Will you shut up, please? You. Right, take him away, boy. There have been tons of Lex Luthor action figures made over the years, but this one in particular is quite possibly one of the most infamous toys in the history of DC Comics merchandise. I'm talking about the Lex Luthor figure from the Toy Biz DC Comics Superheroes line in 1989. If you listen to the recent Fire and Water podcast episode where I joined host Rob Kelly in discussing Aquaman toys, you already know that the Toy Biz DC line has quite the reputation. Little backstory. Kenner produced the excellent Superpowers Collection toy line from 1984 to 1986. The toys had some of the best sculpting of any toy line up to that point, and some would argue up to now, and cleverly innovated quote-unquote power action features. The DC license lay dormant for three years. With the highly publicized upcoming Batman movie, everyone knew there would be a new dedicated toy line. I think just about everyone was also very surprised to find an upstart company named Toy Biz got the license and not Kenner. I seem to remember there was like a a news item like on CNN or 
or maybe it was Entertainment Tonight or something, but it was about all the merchandise coming out for the Batman line. And then I think it had a, like a video from Toy Fair, and it showed a Toy Biz representative with all the, the, the Toy Biz items behind him from the Batman movie. And I was just thinking, who are these people? Where's Kenner? <laughs> Toy Biz released two connected lines, a Batman line that featured characters strictly from the film with designs that approximated their movie looks, and a DC Comics superheroes line with other popular DC characters. The first series of these figures used the superpowers figures as a starting point. Whether Toy Biz acquired the molds or made new molds off existing superpowers figures, many of the characters looked similar to their Kenner counterparts. The Joker from the Batman line was loosely based on the corresponding superpowers figure. Early prototypes of Batman and the Joker looked like straight repaints of superpowers figures, but the Batman was altered before release into an all-new figure, trying to resemble Michael Keaton in his bat armor. Several variations of the figure abounded, and that kind of set off one of the very first variant action figure chases that was, you know, in the ma action figure magazines and uh, newsletters that was springing up at the time pre-internet. There was also a completely new figure in the line, Bob the Goon, who was almost as notorious as Lex, but more for being a pretty useless and lame addition to the line. No Bruce Wayne, but Bob the Goon? Really, Toy Biz? Superman, Robin, Wonder Woman, Penguin, and Mr. Freeze from the superheroes line were directly based on the superpowers molds. In fact, for some people, it's hard to tell them apart. In general, they look cheaper. Plastic is more translucent, and the paint apps are more garish and sloppy. The figures also lack the hidden power-action-type mechanisms of the superpowers figures, since Kenner had a patent on the hidden design. So Robin karate chops like the Kenner figure, but he's got a big honking yellow button in his back to do so. Toy Biz rounded out the first wave of DC Comics superheroes with a kind of new Riddler figure based on the Flash sculpt from Superpowers. Edward Nigma has on Barry Allen's racing boots, complete with treads. The completely new figure in this line is, you guessed it, Lex Luthor. Now you can enter the world of DC Comics superheroes. My super strength will stop your power punch, Lex Luthor. But I can't stop. Mr. Freeze and the Kryptonite Breeze. But Robin sucks in Stanislaus. Not even Penguin can defeat the powers of the superheroes. Action figures each sold separately from Sharon Toys. And now you can bring all the action of Batman home with the Batmobile, action figures, and more. Each item sold separately from Sharon Toys. The Superpowers figure was based on the 1983 revamp of Lex in his power suit armor, designed by none other than George Perez. Lex's armored look made for a great-looking toy, and some have accused DC of redesigning Lex and Brainiac in Action Comics number 544, the 45th anniversary issue of that title, just to make them more quote-unquote toyetic, which isn't really a word, but people use it. That may be true, but hey, it worked. Superpowers Lex Luthor had a power-action nuclear punch. When you squeezed his legs, his arms moved back and forth. The chest piece of his armor was also removable, so Superman could depower him. Plus, you could, you know, put him in the little trap thing underneath the supermobile and fly him around and stuff. But in 1986, following the events of the epoch-making Crisis on Infinite Earths maxi-series, DC had begun to slowly reboot their universe. Superstar writer-artist John Byrne was signed away from Marvel Comics, revamped Superman in his world. Byrne would work with writer Marv Wolfman and artist Jerry Ordway across the Superman line of comics. It was Wolfman who suggested a new take on Luthor, one he had pitched while working on the Superman comics in the early 80s. 
Wolfman developed a storyline where a mysterious corporate tycoon was manipulating events behind Superman's back. Wolfman intended to reveal this master schemer as Luthor, but editor Julius Schwartz chose the power suit Lex proposal of Carrie Bates instead. So the evil tycoon was then revealed to be utility-heavy Vandal Savage, because it's always Vandal Savage. Why are all of these people obsessed with Vandal Savage? I don't get it, but okay. He was great in that Justice League episode with Superman in the future, but beyond that, yeah, I'm kind of done with Vandal Savage. Unhindered by any continuity, Wolfman successfully pitched the post-crisis Lex Luthor as a seemingly legitimate businessman who was secretly behind all sorts of illegal activities Superman would run up against. The Man of Steel would know Luthor's hands were dirty, would never be able to pin anything on him. It was an approach some said ripped off the kingpin at Marvel, but Wolfman and Byrne made Lex Luthor the main power behind all the infrastructure of Metropolis, so it felt quite different. Byrne established Lex's hatred for Superman in his Man of Steel miniseries, which launched the reboot. In issue number four, Lex endangers a yacht full of innocent people just to see Superman in action. When the mayor has Superman arrest Lex, Luthor, now toppled from his top spot as Metropolis's most powerful figure, openly swears revenge on the Man of Steel. A better motivation than hair loss, for sure. And yeah, Michael Bailey, I know, pre-crisis Lex was upset over more than just losing his hair, but you know, these are the jokes I got, so, you know, chuckle chuckle, y'all. The idea of Luthor owning a company called LexCorp, which I think it should be said LexCorp and not LexCorp because it's a corporation, so LexCorp, actually comes from longtime Superman scribe Elliot S. Magan and his Superman novel Miracle Monday. In a decade where greed was good, according to Michael Douglas, corporate raider Luthor made a lot more sense than mad scientist Lex. In 1988, Superman celebrated his 50th anniversary in style by dominating the TV airwaves like never before. The Man of Steel was the subject of a strange and sometimes honestly pretty off-putting TV special by SNL creator Lorne Michaels. The syndicated Superboy series launched, and Ruby Spears debuted their Superman cartoon on CBS Saturday mornings that fall. Faster than a speeding bullet. than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Superman! Yes, Superman! Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman! Who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights the never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. The show was a nice combo of the recently completed run of Superman films starring Christopher Reeve and the post-crisis comic reboot. The John Williams theme was used, and Superman and Clark Kent were definitely very Reeve-like. Ma Pa Kent survived into Clark's adulthood, as in the Burns stories, and Lex Luthor was a big-time business tycoon. The show's adherence to the new status quo was not surprising since Marv Wolfman himself was story editor and chief writer on the show. He had left the Superman comics by this time, but he definitely knew the material. Another Superman alum, legendary comic artist Gil Kane, who had worked with Wolfman on Action Comics in the early 80s, provided production design and model sheets, 
giving the show a very comic-accurate feel. Although Lex was a criminal business tycoon as in the modern comics, he didn't seem quite as dangerous as his comic counterpart. Like other main cartoon villains of the era, including Skeletor and Cobra Commander, Lex was somewhat buffoonish at times, often losing his cool and childlike temper tantrums. He crushed my tank! I'd sue him for destruction of private property! But it would probably implicate me in the robbery. He was given a much more prominent and sly sense of humor, much like Gene Hackman's portrayal in the films, clearly enjoying every minute of his evil deeds. He was voiced by Michael Bell, probably best known to many of us as the voice of Zan on the Super Friends and Duke on G.I. Joe. Bell's voice represented a mischievous slimeball. His relationship with his airheaded bleach-blonde assistant Miss Morganberry, a fill-in for Miss Tessmacher and Otis from the films, was used to prove his air of superiority, much like Gene Hackman had in those Reeve films. You're going to steal one billion dollars? But Lexi, you're already a zillionaire. Miss Morganberry, my daddy used to tell me you can never have enough chocolate ice cream, real estate, or money. Of course, he's now fat, homeless, and broke. But I don't intend to be. And to think my horoscope said today was going to turn out bad. Ha! In short, this Lex is a combo of Gene Hackman's black wit, the post-crisis corporate raider, and the 80s standard tune, non-scary, somewhat silly, head villain. Surprisingly, the show only ran one season of 13 episodes from 1988 to 1989, although reruns continued the following year. Despite this, the 1989 Toy Biz Lex Luthor figure is based directly on the Gil Kane Lex design from this animated series. The figure shows Lex in a purple double-breasted coat with a black cravat and a pocket handkerchief. He has black pants and black shoes. His head sculpt attempts to capture Kane's model sheet of Lex in evilly delighted mode. But here's where the problems start. The figure is very blocky. There's very few folds in his clothes despite those being in Kane's design. He appears a little overweight as he was in the comics and on the show. His hands are the size of large hams. His right hand is open so his very flat and unconvincingly scaled briefcase can be placed there or an automatic handgun which is included. And that kind of defeats the purpose of him playing it legit, don't you think? His left hand is in a fist at the end of his permanently bent arm and it looks like Lex may suffer from blood pressure problems since the fist is as big as his head. A simple band of green paint is applied to his wedding band finger to fill in for the kryptonite ring Lex used on the cartoon and in the comics of the time. The ring was symbolic for how Superman couldn't touch Lex, both literally and legally. Forget the drinks, Luthor. You're under arrest. Oh, I feel weak. Superman, what did you do to him? All right, my ring. Lovely jewel, isn't it? I believe it's called kryptonite. And isn't kryptonite the only substance that can destroy you? Stop it, Luther. Oh, very well. Now then, I believe you are going to arrest me. Although, I can't imagine why. I'm a strictly legitimate businessman. You're not fooling anyone, Luthor. Nobody else possesses the evil genius needed to build that tank. On the cartoon, the ring was worn on his pinky. So, is this Lex figure married to Kryptonite? He probably loves it more than anything on Earth. Or in space, for that matter. Remember Lex's bent left arm? 
Well, this is where Toy Biz's version of power action comes in. Lex has a small black lever in his back. If you flick it up, his arm lifts in what Toy Biz terms button-activated power punch. Does Lex strike Superman with this deadly irradiated blow? Well, that would seem to be the objective, and if you stand your Superman figure just close enough to him, it might work. But the full force of Lex's clobbering action is going to be received by the very cranium that sent that signal to his arm. Yes, this Lex Luthor repeatedly punches himself in the forehead. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel I focus on the pain the only thing that's real He's even placing the package this way rather than build in some mechanism to stop Lex's arm a few millimeters short of his noggin the giant slab of meat he calls a fist comes crashing into his left temple every time this continual brain damage may explain the expression on Lex's face. It's why I've heard this figure called self-abusive Lex Luthor more than once. And just in case you need a little audio example, here's what it sounds like. Hear that? That's Lex hitting himself in the head over and over and over again. With the gleeful, blank-eyed look on his face of cheap, pale plastic, it looks as if Lex is completely demented and actually enjoys pummeling himself over and over. Founder, chairman, and member in good standing of his one-man fight club. The packaging of these DC Comics superheroes figures is a huge step down in quality as well. Gone are the bold, primary-colored card backs and Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, art. Instead, we get tacky gold lame dots and Carmine Infantino art with some really strange force perspective going on. Lex looks more like Wilson Fisk than his usual self. In fact, the animated Lex design does bear a striking resemblance to the classic Kingpin. Change the jacket, which was really more blue on the cartoon than purple, to white, and you pretty much have it. Lex is in many ways the forerunner of the second series of the DC superheroes line. The following year, Aquaman, Hawkman, Green Lantern, Two-Face, and several variations of The Flash were released by Toy Biz, and they are horrible. Like Lex, these figures aren't based on the Superpowers forebears, and they make bootleg figures you'd find at a Mexican flea market look like hot toys. The Two-Face in this line, the first ever figure of the character, is perhaps the worst abomination ever put into plastic molds. He has a dime molded into his hand. A full-sized plastic replica of a dime to simulate the flipping of his famous two-sided coin. Ugh. But it all started with Lex. Kenner quickly got back the DC license, but unfortunately sat on the rest of the DCU for years while they concentrated on Batman, on every possible variation of Batman. Lex would return to the toy aisle in both the comic-based Superman Man of Steel series and Superman the Animated series, both from Kenner in the mid-90s. The animated series from Bruce Timm, Paul Dini, Alan Burnett, and company fully explored the potential of Lex as tycoon and primary villain. Clancy Brown brought a dimension to the character not seen in the media before. His eventual downfall in the Justice League animated series and subsequent evolution, or is that de-evolution, to Mad Scientist was all the more satisfying because of it. I know I just rode this figure and this entire line pretty hard, but honestly, I will always have a certain soft spot for that first wave of Toy Biz DC figures. 
Around late 1987 and early 1988, I had decided to be a toy collector shortly after stopping playing with toys. Well, officially playing with toys. I decided to focus on my beloved superheroes. Unfortunately, I picked about the worst time in history to do this. There was nothing on the shelves in 87 or 88. So when these figures showed up in 1989, it was like manna from heaven. Sure, even then I realized they were a step down from superpowers, but I could now haunt toy aisles and claim victory when I found Robin or the Riddler, or yes, even Lex. Of course, the following year, Toy Biz would also launch their Marvel superheroes and X-Men lines, which would turn into an action figure empire with an extremely convoluted and messy story involving corporate mergers, ownership issues, and movie rights, which still carry on to this very day. That's not what we're here to talk about. You know, I just now thought... If they had released a figure of Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor from Batman v Superman with the action of punching himself in his head, I think I would have probably bought about 20 of them and just played with them all the time because I loathe that version of Lex Luthor with every fiber of my being. I wanted to reach through the screen and punch him in the theater. Imagine getting, you know, just being able to just punch him in the face over and over. Oh, that's nice. Nothing against Jesse Eisenberg, but the way that character was portrayed was just, oh, God. I know, I just violated the BVS Accords. Sorry, guys. Despite this horrible, if delightfully hideous action figure, the Ruby Spears Superman series is still a lot of fun. It's a nice bridge between the Superpowers team, Galactic Guardians, and Batman the Animated Series. It's still shaking off some Saturday morning silliness, like a river of lava running just about eight feet below the surface of Metropolis, for instance. And Lex is a bit broad and silly at times, but it does capture much of the comic feel of that era. It was definitely an entertaining step in the right direction. If you're a Superman fan, I'm sure you can find the DVD set cheap, and I highly recommend you do so. Okay, well then, here at the Fire and Water Podcast, we like to stay positive. Find your joy is our mantra. And while it is indeed fun to pick on the awfulness of the Toy Biz Lex, I didn't want to end the show like that. Who comes in to save the day from Luthor's destruction? This looks like a job for Superman. Why Superman, of course, who else? A few months ago, Funko, makers of fine geek items like their famous pop figures, released one of their Legion of Collectors boxes themed to Superman. Legion of Collectors is a subscription service you can join where you pick a theme, DC, Marvel, etc., and for however long you sign up, they send you a box of goodies about every quarter. It's always exclusive goodies. Sometimes it's a pop figure with a different paint app, or sometimes it's something completely cool and unknown. Last year, they released a small 2-inch or so Size Wonder Woman action figure packed with her invisible plane. I picked one up on the aftermarket for Cindy. Funko outdid themselves this year by packing their Superman box with a truly unique and awesome action figure. The 3 and 3 fourth first appearance Superman. Joe Schuster's initial vision of the Man of Tomorrow is captured in all his primitive glory. The squinty eyes. The bad shaped shield with a very simple S. The short red boots with blue shin guards. He looked as if he'd leapt off the cover of Action Comics number one, and in case you needed to be reminded of that, his backer card has a close-up of the most famous and valuable comic book of all time, which of course is Action Comics number one. A later version of the Action Comics banner, complete with a later vignette of Superman breaking chains on his chest, completes the Golden Age ensemble. The back of the card is from a later Golden Age, early Silver Age Superman comic drawn by Wayne Boring. It honestly seems a bit arbitrary and kind of out of place, but since this was never meant to be sold at retail alone, we'll forgive them. It's still a nice piece of vintage Superman art. 
Moving back to the figure, he has a surprisingly high level of articulation for this size. He's jointed at the neck, shoulders, elbows, wrists, hips, and knees. Since the two are so linked, there's obviously a feel from the classic Fleischer cartoons here as well as Schuster's art. And that's never a bad thing. You may know that Funko released a wide range of 3 and 3 fourth retro style figures in their reaction line in the last several years. The line was started by Super 7, then co-opted by Funko. Some of these lines were great overall, like the Universal Monsters, which we'll probably get to at some point on this show. Whereas some, Star Trek, were really disappointing and looked like sub-Happy Meal toys or Mexican bootlegs. A lot like Toy Biz Lex. Super 7 has taken the reaction brand back, but Funko has an exciting wave of Batman 66 figures coming in this scale, and they look great. I've got the Batmobile with Batman and Robin set on pre-order, and I can't wait to get it. I first learned of this Superman figure shortly after it shipped from the excellent comic website 13th Dimension. Dan Greenfield has one of the best comic sites on the net, and he did a nice review of this figure. I instantly sent a link to Cindy and told her of my need to own this thing. I'm a sucker for the original versions of the heroes, and the Earth 2 Superman is still a favorite of mine. I even wrote an article for Back Issue on the original big guy. As always, my lovely wife came through, and I was soon gifted with a minty-carded Superman. Nowadays, I usually open all of my figures, but the presentation on this one is so perfect, I couldn't bring myself to take Superman away from that iconic cover. So he sits in a case in our living room in front of my Hot Toys Superman Christopher Reeve action figure. To me, the alpha and omega of all things Superman. I would love to see Funko give us the first appearance line of figures in this scale. Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, Aquaman, Yellow Gloves, Rob, Hawkman, Captain Marvel, Robin, the mind boggles. DC directed a fine job on their own line of first appearance figures, including Supes himself, but the smaller size of these just screams toy more to me. You can just imagine this Superman having adventures with Snake Eyes and fighting Boba Fett somewhere. Or maybe lifting up the old Mego General Lee over his head. Or, you know, you could pop him in with your Mego pocket superheroes. If you are a Superman fan, you need this figure. I know Michael Bailey has one. If it's good enough for Bailey and it's Superman, well, enough said. I'm going to take a quick promo break, then I'll come back with your listener feedback. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. I'm trailing. Man, it sure is great to be back to FCTC after such a long time. Yes, it is, and we've been away so long. Yeah, but real life... And, uh, you know what? I, I just I just can't do this. Can't do what? We have taken more breaks from this show than my wife has had in her entire life. I mean, we can talk about real life getting in the way. Which it has. But it's it's just not fair. So we're not going to joke around, and we're going to simply say that for the moment, we're back, and there's a lot of neat stuff to talk about. Like Season 2 of Lois and Clark. And the death of Clark Kent. And the launch of Superman the Man of Tomorrow. And the return of Lex Luthor. And the trial of Superman. And Underworld Unleashed. <laughs> the show can still be found at the Superman homepage, as well as at the Fortress of Bailitude. And we're still part of the Superman Podcast Network. So From Crisis to Crisis is back. For now. And it will still come out on Thursdays. Most week at www.fortressofbailey2.com, www.supermanhomepage.com, or 
www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It's Superman Superman Movie Movie Minute. Minute. Chris Franklin and Rob Kelly take you on a journey through time and space, examining five minutes at a time the greatest superhero movie of all time, 1978's Superman. Coming soon to a podcast network near you. You'll believe five minutes can fly. Swell. Okay, we're back with feedback. And uh, these comments come from the uh, comment section of the original uh, Wonderful Toys episode post on firewaterpodcast.com. And uh, please leave any comments on this episode over there. I'd love to hear it, love to read it, love to reply to it, and love to read it on the air. So our first response comes from Ryan Daly, my partner on Batman Nightcast and the guy that edits the whole thing together. And Ryan said, first things first, great premiere episode for Wonderful Toys. I love the opening theme and the production was great. The shorter 20-minute episode format was perfect for this type of spotlight show, giving us the character history, your history with said character, and a focus on the toy in question. Well done. Second, I love the DC Universe Classics line. These guys are awesome, and it still makes me giddy thinking about some of the C and D listers who appeared in this line. However, there were still so many more heroes and villains who didn't get the DCUC treatment before the line died off. You ever want a guest to discuss other figures from this line? I've got a pretty decent collection. Not all of them, but quite a few. I'll take you up on that, Ryan. I'm glad you touched on the scarcity of some of the figures in this wave. Dr. Fate is the only Earth 2 Golden Age character from the line that I don't have because I haven't seen him for sale for less than $70. Yeah, Dr. Fate, I lucked out on that one. I don't even know how I lucked out on it. Andrew's been on a hunt for Dr. Fate in that line for years, too, and somehow I managed to find one, and we never did find one. I didn't realize he wanted one that bad at the time, honestly, and he's been looking for one ever since. Third, this gentleman ghost is, as you say, a wonderful figure. I picked up the two-pack with Hawkgirl at a time when the ghost was going for an obscene price. It meant never being able to collect and connect my beloved Giganta, but oh well. Then about a year later, my friend Paul gave me the individually packaged gentleman ghost for Christmas. I didn't need a duplicate, though I'd never complain about having more of such a cool figure. Plus, with the individual ghost, I finally got a tiny Adam toy. Yeah, I forgot about that. The Adam came with him. I think, though, I would have to look at them closer, that the ghost's arm and legs were used for the Golden Age Sandman figure. Yeah, I think so. I think Mattel's been really good about recycling parts for other figures. I know like the Clark Kent figure they made in that, uh, I think it was a Superman two-pack. He used the same body as like the Two-Face figure they made. You know, the guy in a suit, so they reused it. Uh, Rob Kelly from the network wrote in, Great first episode, Chris. I've always loved the gentleman ghost. From his name, look, power set, he always seemed like a really cool bad guy, and I've always wondered why he wasn't used more. The episode of SF you mentioned is is surprising. In case you hear that noise in the back, that's Danny playing with Legos. But since this is a toy show, it kind of makes sense. That episode of SF you mentioned is surprisingly horror-y for the notoriously safe Hanna-Barbera. It remains one of my favorite episodes of the series. I had no idea there were even so many GG figures. That's great. 
Like you, I love seeing him in a Lego Batman. I think when he shows up, that was the moment I knew whoever wrote this movie was deep into DC Comics lore. Great needle drops in this episode. Willie Nelson for the win. Awesome start to this series of shows. I would be concerned that Solomon Grundy knows where you live. <laughs> well, as I told Rob in the comments, if you remember, the House of Mystery is supposed to be in Kentucky. So I got a strange feeling it's not too far from here. I'm just saying, because, you know, I've seen some people that are creepy as looking as Kane around here, so might be. Chris Carnes wrote in, Hi, Chris. What an excellent podcast. You covered a lot of ground in a short amount of time. Only collected a handful of figures over the years, so I really learned a lot. You did a great and thorough job with this. The history, and it was nice hearing your perspective on it, something you were really into. The first time I saw The Gentleman Ghost was in Secret Origins number 1 from 1973, which reprinted the story from Flash Comics number 88. I loved the appearances in Batman 310 and 318. He was a recurring villain in a Batman role-playing game I was in ages ago. Great call focusing on him. This is from Chris Carnes. He's from Bat Books for Beginners podcast, and he does the Batman 66 reviews on the Batgirl to Oracle podcast with Stella. And, uh, yeah, um, you know, I I don't have too many. I've only got one issue of that Secret Origins reprint series from the 70s, and it was the one that's Aquaman and Robin. So it's like the, the first Aquaman story and the first Robin story. So if you're going to have one, that's a good one, you know, especially if I'm on the Fire and Water Network, because I'm a Robin guy, and it's Aquaman, you know, so... <laughs> Brian Linton wrote in, Great inaugural solo episode. Though it did seem odd at first to not hear you interacting with someone else. Now I'm interacting with myself. That's almost someone else. I hope this doesn't mean that you'll be breaking up the band to pursue a solo career. Now, as we've established, Ryan's the one that's going to leave first. I'm not a big toy collector, but I still found this to be an enjoyable and informative episode. I recently rewatched Gentleman Jim's appearance on The Super Friends. It definitely has its creepy moments with people being turned into ghosts. Reminds me a bit of the other Super Friends episode where everyone is being turned into Swamp Thing-like plant monsters by a meteor. Those two episodes are probably the closest Super Friends ever got to a zombie apocalypse story. Good stuff. I look forward to future installments. Well, thanks, Brian. Uh, for creepy Super Friends stories, you also want to look into the, uh, the, the Challenge of the Super Friends episode we discussed on the first episode of Saturday Morning Fever, where there's all sorts of zombies in the swamp. Can't think of the name of the episode off the top of my head. And then I think it's from the season, it's either the season before or it's actually the same season as, I think it's the same season as Challenge of the Super Friends, but it was like the second half hour that was like the standard five Super Friends plus Zan and Jaina where they fight Dracula. That one's pretty creepy. Yeah, Dracula doesn't get to bite anybody and he turns people into vampires with dust and like laser beams out of his eyes. And he apparently suffers from asthma because the whole time he's like, <sighs> Superman, you know, but, but it's pretty cool. And he actually turns Superman into a vampire, spoiler warning. So that's pretty dope. Uh, so check that out. Chuck Coletta wrote in, great new show and a fun episode. Can we expect a meta episode on toys based on Superman foe, the toy man? Well, yeah, there's not a whole lot of toy man figures out there. There's the DCUC figure. Uh, which looks like the superpower, I mean, superpowers, which looks like the challenge of the super friends version of the toy man, which was based on the very brief new toy man from the comics in the seventies. Uh, and there's also the, um, from justice, which is being covered in the big jail may crossover this month. There is a DC direct figure of the toy man puppet that looks like that version of toy man. So there's that. 
Uh, so yeah, we'll probably do a Toy Man episode at some time. We almost kind of have to. I, I wish somebody, I can't remember, did, did Mattel ever get around to making the Superman the Animated Series Toy Man, you know, the little creepy ventriloquist doll looking Toy Man? I, I can't remember if they did or not. But uh, it seems like, you know, because you see so many, you see so many one of a kinds and customs and things that it's hard to remember what's real and what's not. I'll have to look into that. But yeah, that'd be cool to have them on there. FYI, Gentleman Ghost is a visual inspiration for the ghostly Marquis of Queensbury, voiced by Oscar winner and community co-star Jim Rash on the funny but profane Mike Tyson Mysteries on Adult Swim. Uh, yeah, you know, I kind of forgotten about that. Uh, and you know, I even know, um, you know, uh, there's been some Remigo figures of 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 Mike Tyson. So uh so maybe they'll maybe they'll make one that looks like the that character so you can make a gentleman Jim or gentleman ghost custom off of it. And he and uh Chuck finishes Yes to Superpowers episode. I've been waiting for a Golden Pharaoh episode. Well, Golden Pharaoh hmm there's an interesting story there with me and Golden Pharaoh. That's all I'm gonna say. And we'll have to get to it eventually. It's not one I'm proud of, uh but we'll get around to it. Uh, Michael Bailey, who got name-dropped a lot in this episode because Superman and post-crisis Superman in particular, because he is one of the hosts with Jeffrey Taylor of From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which, if you want to know anything about the era of Superman following Crisis on Infinite Earths, you need to listen to this show. So go find it. Go find it on supermanhomepage.com. Michael's comment reads, Even though everyone else has said, I will say it again, great first episode. This is a really novel idea for a show. If I had more money and space, I'd probably be right there with you in terms of owning toys and action figures, especially the DC Universe Classics line. I love that DC finally got its own version of Marvel Legends, though like Legends, the line that followed it is beset on all sides by the inequities of sculpting. Some of the newer multiverse figures are nice, some are just not. My favorite part of the episode was the information on the character. It's cool hearing about the different Gentleman Ghost figures that are out there, but hearing about the character and your opinion on him was what made the episode so good. I was a faithful viewer of the various Super Friends shows, and I have no memory of the episode he appeared on, which means I really need to get off my duff and watch the DVDs I own. This is a fine addition to the Fire and Water family of shows. Thanks for starting it. Uh, Michael, I've, I've left this in the comment, but just in case anybody knows, and I should have said this, the Gentleman Ghost episode, where he's called Gentleman Jim, it's called The Ghost. It's the last segment of the last episode on volume two of the all new super friends hour DVD set. So I guess it was like the last new episode they aired. Um, so there you go. Siskoid from our network, a host of first strike invasion podcast and give me that star Trek and many other fine shows. Or then sorry you had to wait so long for my comment. iPod died in the middle of your introduction. I've just now dug out an old one. I have to hold up like a phone because its headphone jack doesn't work. Now that's dedication, Cisco. Thank you. Nice show. I don't know how interested I am in toys as a geek, though I do seem to have a lot of Doctor Who figures and I treasure my few superpowers action figures. We'll see there if you got good taste, you know. But giving us some background on the featured character in all media is what made it work. You also deduced that a single person talking can get boring and pepped it up with clips and a special guest star. A lot of fun. Well, thanks, Cisco. I appreciate that. Uh, Ice D wrote in, great first episode. DC Universe classics like Marvel Legends were a source of obsession. The figure wave with Gentleman Ghost never came to my town, but I was thankfully able to procure the entire wave with the help of a kind collector on the Raving Toy Maniac board. Wow, I remember that board. Spent a lot of time there. It's where the Mego Museum originally sprang from. 
I had hopes that the wave would be re-released like the first Walmart exclusive wave with a Metallo Build-A-Figure, but it was not to be. Looking forward to your Batmobile episode, or should I say episodes. Yeah, I mean, I could do a whole, I could do a podcast series on Batmobiles alone. I mean, you know, and I don't have every Batmobile and, and, uh, those Eagle Moss Batmobiles that come out, I've been very tempted to come with a little magazine. I've got a, I've got only got one of them, honestly, because I just know if I get into that, I am not going to stop. It's, it's, it's like, you know, getting into like some kind of drug or something, <laughs> getting addicted to it. So I've like kept those at arm's length because I just, my obsession would quickly take over and I feel like I had to own every one of them probably, but I've got tons of Batmobiles and lots of fuel to, <laughs> atomic battery fuel to talk about with Batmobiles. Brian Rosen wrote in to say, I had no idea that Gentleman Jim was given two shots as a figure. I first saw the Gentleman Ghost on Saturday mornings in the Super Friends show. Thanks for covering him in your premiere episode. And I also have to start hunting both releases down. Also, I heard the gag Solomon Grundy promo for April Fool's Day. He strangely sounds like Mr. T. Keep up the good work on all your podcasts. You know, that's, there's been more than one comment lately that Solomon Grundy sounds like Mr. T. I'll have to ask him if, you know, was, you know, did Mr. T still his shtick? Because, you know, Grundy was around long before Mr. T was. So maybe Mr. T watched Challenge of the Super Friends. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> thanks to everyone who left a comment. And please leave one on this episode over at firewaterpodcast.com. Thanks also to everyone who promoted the show on social media. I'd read through the list, but this episode is running a bit long. I want to keep this show kind of short and contain like Siskoid said it's one guy talking so you know sometimes that can get a little eh, a little dicey if it if the show runs too long um so i'll tackle that next time well that will do it for this episode i hope to be back soon and we'll just have to see if schedules allow as you may know rob kelly and i have a new show on the fire and water podcast network launching later this year superman movie minute where i'll get to talk about superman and lex nearly every episode uh, by about episode 15 or so at least by the time we get to him in the movie but you know of course you can always hear me on Nightcast with Ryan Daly where we discuss the post-crisis adventures of Batman and Supermates with my podcasting and real life life mates and wife Cindy but keep your ears peeled for the next episode and remember please put away your toys when you're done bye I hate him I hate him I'm the world's most brilliant criminal scientist, but that muscle-bound clown always interferes with my plans. And I'll continue to do so, Luthor. Superman? But, well, I'm so pleased you came to visit. The mayor told me you stopped my runaway Defendroids. Congratulations. Runaways? What are you trying to pull? What, you know machines? There was a short circuit and I called to warn the mayor when he told me you were back in town. You, you can't imagine how relieved I was. Oh, well, faulty programming, I guess. Maybe next time. There won't be a next time, Luthor. As soon as I can prove what you're up to, you'll be spending the rest of your life behind bars. Up, up, put away!